Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And this is Subdoc, a show where we talk documentaries with guests from the worlds of comedy, film, television, and more. And we're very pleased to have on today's guest, Tyler Norwood, the director of Robin's Wish. Robin's Wish centers around the final years of Robin Williams and the confusion around why this comedy icon killed himself in 2014. After his death, the media narrative skewed the facts surrounding why Williams died. It wasn't until a coroner's report that the complexity of his situation was better understood. He had a severe case of Louis body syndrome. Williams' widow, Susan Schneider Williams, has become a champion voice for the little-known form of dementia with Louis bodies. Showing the frailty of a suffering genius in his last months, Robin's Wish is the first time the public has seen this side of Williams' life. This story is lovingly crafted by director Tyler Norwood, who has been a guest on Subdoc for his previous documentary, United States of Detroit. Tyler was approached by Susan to tell this story, and his team tracked down friends and neighbors while laying out the details of a fairly obscure disease that is very difficult to diagnose. And we're pleased to have on SupDoc again, Tyler. Thanks for being here, and congratulations on the film. Now I speak? Now is your... <laughs> <laughs> There's so many half introductions there, like, yeah, and Tyler Norwood's on, and I'm like, oh, hey, God. nope, not <laughs> And that's it. Thank you so much, Tyler. Good night, everybody. Um, yes, now you so speak. So fun to be here, guys. Oh, no, it's just a, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, so, Robin's wish. Um, what a uh, first of all, I hate you for making me cry again, <laughs> all over again. Um, it's awesome documentary, man. Uh, what's so? How, how did this be? How did this happen? What's the genesis? What's the catalyst? I mean, man, like, um, are we going to pretend that you don't have insider information here? Yes, that's what we're doing. <laughs> like, okay. You're just blowing this all up. I love it. Let's peel the layer, man. It's like an onion. Um, yeah. So, so Susan, uh, years ago came to me about three and a half years ago, came to me because of a mutual friend who said, uh, you know, you should talk to Tyler. And she'd seen one of my short films that played at the Mill Valley Film Festival called Naples Yellow, which I later found out she showed to Robin while they were in bed one night. And I was like, just Whoa. I couldn't tell you what that meant to me that the guy had actually seen something I did. I was like, Oh my God. Um, and so she came to me and was like, Hey, do you want to make a, a, a science documentary about Louis body dementia? And I said, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> uh, and she, you know, but, but he, this friend of ours had told me like, Hey, Susan, like Robin's widow is going to be calling you. And I was like, all right, like Hank. So I'm like on this phone call being like, where do we start talking about Robin? What? Like, cause I have no, I have no association as a big fan of Robin with Louis body dementia. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, is this something your grandmother had? Like, why are we having this? Um, and I, and I was like, you know, Susan, it's going to be about three years, like two, three years, like turns out it's three and a half before we're actually going to be sitting in a theater watching this thing that is an idea that you're having right now. You know, what is going to sustain you? Because science for me isn't going to do it. Like, I just, I've never done a science doc. It's not something I'm passionate about. And she was like, well, it's something me and Robin went through. And I was like, 
please tell me those stories. And so then we talked for like two hours over the phone about what they'd gone through. And at the end of it, where she'd kind of relayed, she'd, she'd relayed information that I'd never heard, number one. Number two, it was super, super compelling. And number three, it was so intimate and got me a huge understanding of who Robin was. And I was like, Susan, if, if that is the movie, I'm in. I'm all in if that's the movie. But you have to be in it and you have to go there. And so that was she was not ready for. And she was like, OK, like, let me think about it. And it took us a couple of weeks, but we eventually sat down for some interviews and we were off and running. So at first she was a little reticent about uh, jumping on board. Oh, that's an be- understatement. Oh, okay. That's an understatement. Yeah. She started thinking she was going to play like the first lady role, right? And she was going to stand back and say, I hereby bequeath this scientific documentary to the public. And, and I was like, go. no, no, like nobody gives a damn about right. science if you, if somebody's not stepping up. Yeah. And I was like, Susan, you if you really care, if it really means what you say it means, I need you to do this. And then And then she went back, processed it all and was like, yeah, no problem. No, cool. And and then she was the most open, most honest, most brave person I've ever filmed on camera. Oh wow, that's a huge statement. That's that's amazing. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, it's not like this happened twenty years ago. It's not like a faint memory. And um, when we were filming this, she was two years. Ugh. It had only been two years. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Were there moments yeah. where you're? Did you ever have one of those moments? Where you're like. I don't know. Is this the right thing? Should we be doing yeah, this? Yeah. So, so I've been doing a lot of interviews and one, <laughs> one of the interviews that the guy I was just on was like, you know, how did you manage the pressure of all this stuff? And like, you know, did you ever just want to be human and sort of like cut the cameras? And it's like, we definitely did that. But at the end of the day, I gave Susan a challenge. I said, if you really want to do something towards your husband's memory, if you really want me to put everything I've got into doing something that sets the record straight about his legacy and who he was on the planet that we now both know that we have the information, you have to do like, this is what the world is going to need. Cause she went out after she got the name Louis body dementia, she went out and she was on the today show and she was on all these shows, deaf ears because people were like, well, I heard this other thing. And now you're telling me this, I got to go to work. Right. And it's like, if we're going to cut through that, if we're going to actually get to people, you got to go somewhere that is remarkable. And so when she was in these interviews and she's breaking down and that happened when she's in that place, I'm, I'm saying, let's pause. Right. And we're turning off the cameras and we're letting her have a moment, but she's the one who's like, and she's ready to go again. Cause she's like, this is not for her. This is not for me. This is for the guy who's not in the room anymore. And, and that was the thing that I think gave me the energy to say, if she can keep going, I can keep going. And she always, to her credit, was like, this is not for me. It's for us. And I know that Robin would have done this for me if it had happened to me. And like that for me felt so human and so true. And, uh, you know, I think we'd all be so lucky if we had a partner that we, that we were able to find in this life who would stand up for us and step up for us and, and take this on. Like, I don't know. That, in, that, in that way, I was so impressed by her strength that, even in the moments she faltered, I never lost the the through line. Intra, yeah, that's that's a very good point. Is there is there? I mean, we all so there's the HBO doc that happened. The come inside my mind, I think it was the name of it. Yeah. So is exactly. that was this at, at all a response to that doc, or was this was this something where it was like okay, like people are getting the wrong information in general, and we need to like make sure that we're getting the right from information out. Yeah. I mean, for me, that film was actually being made while we were making this film. Um, And it turned out to be a really kind of 
reverent biopic, right? It, it starts at his childhood. It walks you all through the successes of his life. And, and, and I think Robin deserves 10 of those. But what nobody was touching was the thing that this film looks to touch on, which is this very difficult, dangerous, scary thing and how one of the most famous people in history was a victim of it, right? And it's like, how do you do that in a way that balances, you know, fun somewhat at some points? I think we, we play with the idea that Robin was not a down guy. Like, this was one of the most fun, open, warm humans on the planet. And if you left that out of this story, you'd be missing the plot. So the idea that, like, we have to let Robin shine and be who he is and then, and then have him go through this hero's journey that I think, you know, the biggest challenges in our life reveal who we really are. Right. And it's like the idea that I think you'd have a really tough argument saying that this wasn't the toughest thing he ever went through. It's a death sentence. And he never got the name of the, of the thing that was killing him. Right. And the idea that he responded to that with strength, kindness and warmth, like he never got angry. He never got bitter. There's no like, you know, like the idea that he never went there, even in, in the face of the amount of brain damage he was under, which doctors looking at his autopsy said was the worst case Louis body dementia they'd ever seen. They were they were surprised he could even walk. At the, at the end of his life and the idea that this guy was like still being there for his wife they were meditating in the afternoons they were like like the idea that that dude is also the guy that we all love from the movies i i think you can't do anything but walk out of a movie like this and say robin the man was even better than robin williams the movie star and if and if you thought it was the other way around you're all wrong I mean, every, after it happened, I mean, I remember just reading how he had done so much philanthropic work and he'd done all this stuff for the homeless. And like, I, you know, yeah, I, I definitely, it was an impactful thing for sure when it happened. Um, I was thinking for you learning about the medical side of this stuff, uh, you had to have some uh, advisors on set, right? Some medical advisors, oh, not on set, but, you know, just to help break down it's very, it's fairly complicated. I mean, it sort of like looks a little bit like Parkinson's. It it's looks a little bit like neuro- Alzheimer's. Neurology, yeah. which is uh, <laughs> it is you brain. Need, you need it's, a degree. Yeah. yeah, brain surgery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do how, yeah you when you you knew that was going to be part of this when you're getting into it like how it seems like it was it was going to be pretty daunting. But did you look at like maybe other popular science type films and like like relying on animations and stuff like that to like figure out how to like relay the information or what, what were you thinking? Uh, as a, it's, this is sort of like a, this is a thing as a filmmaker that I probably shouldn't admit, but I, <laughs> I have some weird thing where I don't like to look at similar things. <laughs> right, right, right. Like I, I just want to like, I'm going to do it my way. And if, and if I finish, I, I'm always terrified that I'm going to finish it and somebody's going to go, Oh, somebody did that already. And then I go, Oh crap. Like right. I should have done mountains of research, but I just really trust my gut. And then I feel like whatever comes out from that, that like my sensibility that, that you and I could tell the same story and it's never going to be the same. And I'm like, mm-hmm. so I always just, am like, let's just go forward. But as far as getting some scientists involved in terms of making sure that I'm not just like, you know, telling a story, um, that was a critical point, right? So, so here's, here's the order of events. Susan tells me over nine hours of interview, every insane detail of what they went through in their entire courtship, all the way up through their marriage, all the way up into like this last year and a half of his life where all hell breaks loose. Um, and I go, okay, we got a big story here. Like, this is all news to me. Uh, and then it's like, let's go, let's go verify some of this stuff. Right. Because at the same time, this is a widow. She's two years out from her husband dying. Like there would be nothing wrong in the world. I would hold nothing against her if she got some facts wrong. Right. So 
that's when we went out and we reached out to the Michael J. Fox Foundation, the Lewy Body Dementia Association, the American Brain Foundation. And we said, like, can you guys verify some of the science? Can you walk us through? Can we get some of your experts who are neurologists, like the most respected in the world, to verify some of these things? And that was the journalistic side, right? Like the filmmaker side of me was so excited to launch into this like love story that like the there's like this villain and and Robin's fighting to stay alive and stay present for his wife and all the all the you know and but the the journalist side of me was like you better get every detail right because if you screw up one detail that's fundamental, it's all for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was you, in the end we had fifty we had organizations that represent over fifty thousand neurologists sign off mm-hmm. on the science of the film. Yeah, and I there were some scenes where you had like someone with a projector like over them, and like that was that seemed to work for me as well. Like I think I got it at the end of it. I'm like, I think I understand what this disease is. Like if you got through my dumb brain, this is going to work for that easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it. Yeah, and the idea of like, what's crazy is when you talk to these scientists, they immediately want to take you into the most granular, like cell level things, and you're like. No, I, I might care about that because I'm just like super curious, but I have to remember there's like, you know, there's a George Chen in the audience being like, dude, what are we, what are we talking about? Why are we like looking at alpha synuclein proteins in the brain? Like where did Robin right. go? Wasn't this a movie about yeah. Robin Williams? And so it's like balancing that was very difficult to get to that point where we've, where we've given people what they need to know, but like, it's not a science documentary. It's a, it's a documentary about what Robin Williams went through and his journey was not a scientific journey. His journey was something that like, uh, a medical thing happened to him, but it was really the way he responded to that, the way that his friends were with him through that, the way that his wife and he struggled through that, like all of that stuff. Like you, you could just say he had terminal cancer. You could insert anything into that place. And it's like, it's about what he did because of it, not because of the science. Um, but, mm-hmm. but it was important to know what that, what that uh, villain is in the film. I mean, he also ironically played like the most famous neurologist like ever, right? Oliver okay. Sacks. Yeah. <laughs> did you I think was, about trying to use clips of that was, or could you not get the rights to yes. the clips or? First of all, yes. Yes, we thought about using clips. Yes, we almost did use clips in previous cuts because it's just too amazing that he plays Oliver Sacks. But I will tell like, the moment early on when I was like, awakenings, and then I was like, fuck, Oliver Oliver Sacks is dead. I was devastated for days when I realized, oh, we can't just go interview him because how Mm -hmm. amazing would that be for him? He played Oliver Sacks, and then Oliver Sacks is talking about- (laughs) Yeah, that would have been a loop. Yeah, that would have been great. That I was been. so I was so bummed out, and I know that Oliver Saxon he had this beautiful friendship because Robin was really actually in his own private life super interested in the brain. Like, there's mm-hmm. points in the movie where he's literally talking about like brain science, and he's on a he's on a um, talk show in Australia, and they ask him like, "Well, if you, like," and they're not talking about the brain in any way. They're, they're talking about he just got married to Susan, and they're talking about his work with the troops, and then they go, "Hey, you know, if you had to been a comedian, what would you have done?" And he's like, "Well, I would have loved to have been like a neurologist," and you're like. Like, that's what his, you're just, I mean, and the idea that, like, it's just, the dude was literally a genius who just happened to decide that the best way to be in the world for him in in his own particular color was to be uh, a comedian, an entertainer, you know, an actor. And it's like, but he could have easily done anything else. That's amazing. That That's amazing. And it comes through, I mean, it really does come through, too, like, his, like, smart, sensitive side that he has, you know, like, um, comes through in this doc. Cause you like, I don't think a lot of people know, they think of comedians. I think of always being on, you know, you're always on the, the on buttons going and you're just the life of the party on and off stage. But like most comedians I've met are quiet, introspective little 
unicorns, you know? They're special, yeah. quiet little people off stage. And then we see Mike Pritchard, who I'm so glad that you got Pritch in this doc. Pritch. I love Mike so much. He's such an awesome large man. And uh, he talks about and seeing... nuts, just completely nuts. The, I'm so, I am shocked he didn't do the elephant noise. <laughs> oh, he did all the noises. I had to cut <laughs> that out. I'm sure. He doesn't, he doesn't know or care how that would make him look. <laughs> that's awesome his story's incredible too man he's got a, his own personal journey through comedy and then like um uh, uh speaking for kids bullying campaigns like he is he's done some amazing stuff he's in that documentary happy have you ever seen that doc? yeah yeah absolutely yeah he's i i watched it randomly on on netflix and i was like fucking pritch this is awesome look at that guy but that's where the thing about mike pritchard i mean we're kind of like i think there was a question you started yeah, but like right. just a, a quick note on mike pritchard is like a beautiful human being right like this is a guy as a comedian like he's not doing a netflix special anytime soon right like this is a guy who's like a gamer right like he he's in and out he's 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 on the field and off the field and he's gonna be that way until the day he dies he does it out of the love of the game yeah. right and the idea that robin had a lot of friends who are comedians who are just love of the game guys like that you know that told me so much about who Robin was as a dude that he wasn't like, mm -hmm. Oh, you're, you're doing like a Tuesday night at the, like he was like, you're doing the right thing for the right reason. And you're my guy. And and one of the things that I think he and Mike bonded over even more than that is that Mike is like, you know, he Mike could have probably gone on and done things that would have been more commercially successful, but he chose to try and be of service. And I, I just, from what I know of Robin through talking to his friends and, and some of the stories that I've heard, like that's what Robin respected was people who like chose the 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 thing that served others. And that's actually how our movies end is with with Robin talking about service to others as being kind of the highest form. Yeah. Well, and when you told me like when we we went out for beers after the United States of Detroit and you told me about um you had, I think just started talking with Susan and you talked about the book and the inscription. Um and now that's yeah. that's in this doc and it's so heavy. It's such a beautiful um moment and it's such a beautiful opus you know or a coda if you will i'm just going to throw out some music terms um on the dock and in robin's life which i want to help people be less afraid like that is talking about to be in service of others like that is a beautiful beautiful thing because like um you know robin was my personal hero like there was no one that I love more than Robin Williams. As a kid, growing up, teenage years, college, that's why I moved to fucking San Francisco, essentially, was because of Robin Williams. And, like, my weird trajectory followed Robin in, in a very strange way as well. And, like, his whole idea of not wanting people to be to use fear as a, as a demotivator, you know, is, is such a wonderful thing. Like, I mean... And and that plays in so much into this film. I mean, you can see that arc of like where Robin's at and what he's doing, and that then you hear about all those things. Like George was mentioning earlier, like people have those tales they tell of like Robin being like, "Hey, I, you know, I we shouldn't throw away craft services food. Let's feed the fucking homeless with it." You know, like that kind of stuff is truly it's remarkable, and it's like i don't remember who says it i think it's stanley wilson mentions in your doc that robin could have just rested on being a millionaire star like he didn't have to do anything mm -hmm. it, there was no there was nothing on his agenda that it was like you need to go out and do this no at, at, by i mean he's in sick he's in his 60s 
Like at that point, you kind of just rest and you're just like, you know, I'm fucking Robin Williams. Like this is like I just sit around now and pet my tiger, you know? Yeah, I, I hit Mel Brooks status a long time ago. Uh, I can hang out. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. And it's 63 still feels so young when yeah. I'm watching this is the thing I'm like realizing. Oh, so like, young. Yeah, because I've known him my whole life, it feels like. So just to be like, oh, man, I've known this guy my whole life. So in my mind, he's like, he's not well, even as old. He had that beard for a minute where he really got yeah. that Letterman beard. I'm just like, but 63 is not even that old, which was like. With the energy the whole thing that was that so dude walked around with every day, like mm-hmm. he could have been 75 and still like made us look old. Like right? Dick like, Van Dyke yeah. style. I expect I wanted yeah. to like, you know, expect like a Dick Van Dyke life. Yeah. For, but, um, Did yeah. you ever met him, Tyler? Did you ever meet Robin? I never got to meet him. That was the crazy thing, right? I'm in Marin. I'd have every friend, every friend I have here in my little town was like, oh, I'd see him on his bike. Like, oh, you know, my friend cut his hair. Like, oh, I saw him at lunch one time. It's like, yeah, no, I never caught him. But like, I think I mentioned the fact that he saw some of my work that that was enough yeah. for me to be like, OK, OK, yeah. I'm good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had I, I've had a couple weird run-ins with Robin, and one one was though at the um, at a Sketchfest show. I my sketch comedy group did a show, and then Robin came backstage with Rick Overton. And when they came backstage, the entire crowd just followed them, and, and they came backstage, and it was it was a there was a bunch of people, and then the me and the rest of the comedians were basically in the corner, be like, nobody wants to talk. Literally, like half of the Talking Heads band was there. George Carlin's daughter, like there's all these cool ass people. And Robin saw us just in the corner, be like, no one wants to talk to me. And he came over and was like, can I hang out with you guys? And he's like, I want to <laughs> hang out with some comedians. <laughs> like, yeah, come over Whoa. here. It's awesome. It was one of those things where you're just like, this guy doesn't have to do any of this stuff. But like, here he is like wanting to hang out with comedians, you know? Uh, and that's the story. Think- like the cool thing is, uh, you know, Paco, you were helpful to us. At one point we were, this movie was going to be in 600 theaters and we were trying to put together like a little promo package for the theaters. And we did a little interview with you and we did it with a bunch of other comedians, just kind of like we wanted to put something together that would be like, you know, who Robin was to the comedian community that an audience could connect with. Um, and there was so many stories like that, like just like, oh, like, you know, this guy, Brett Ernst is like, we were hanging out in the parking lot of the comedy store and Robin shows up at two, three in the morning and hung, hung out with him for like an hour. Yeah. It's like, it just we all know how famous robin williams was just kind of like somewhere we just understand that a guy like that is as famous as you can literally get and the idea that he's just like hanging out with dudes at the comedy store in the parking lot at like four like 3 a.m is like you just can't get any more human than that no i also just love that he's like regularly just hangs out with mort Saul every day like that's like i'm like how did mort Saul outlive robin williams this is insane you had to go interview mort Saul, right because i think there's a clip of that we could show yeah exactly no there's like so so one of the things that robin lost his father like earlier in his life Mm -hmm. and he kind of collected these father figures like jonathan winters at one point jonathan winters putting on that level and then like jonathan winters passed and he had this and then he eventually settles you know him and mort Saul developed this intense great friendship right like two incredible minds that can connect to each other and, and have had similar experiences enough to where like they can really connect and then like you know it's just it, that part of it is really powerful to me that like someone who Mort Saul up, I, he might still be doing it, but up until a year ago in his mid to late nineties is still doing a Thursday night comedy set. It's like Robin was on that level. Robin was not doing this for, for the fame, for anything else. He just wanted to be a part of a conversation that he, that he, if, if he got to be at the front of the room, cracking jokes, like that's where he would have been until, until his last day, if he'd have been able to be in control of it. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, what I th- I thought one of the things that really stood out to me that was surprising is um, I don't remember the doctor's name. I don't know if it was Doctor Miller or not, but they said that because of Robin's brain, the way that it oh, worked, yeah. the fact that he was yeah. so smart and using, I guess, of many facets of his brain that that this disease didn't destroy it quicker. I find so this that, is a con- that's insane. This is, it's an important, it's actually, and it makes so much sense, right? Like that connects to you immediately because you're like, oh, I get that. So it's an important um, scientific concept, which is the idea of cognitive reserve, right? Like the idea that like, essentially if, if Arnold Schwarzenegger in the nineties gets MS, right? Like some like thing he's, he's jacked, right? Like to the max, he's Mr. Olympia. Right. And it's like, it's going to take a long time before that disease wears down that giant hulking thing. Whereas if me or you get it, we're done. Like we're right. done. Like two, three months, like we're done. Right. Like, but Arnold's going to last a long time. I'm the not cool getting three thing, months. <laughs> maybe less. You know, but the idea that Robin is, is that's, that's how intense and powerful his mind was that like, it took this long for this deadly, untreatable, like neurological disease to wear him down. And the idea that on on autopsy, doctors were like, this guy shouldn't have been able to walk. He definitely shouldn't have been able to be like talking to people. And th- he was doing all those things right up until the end. It's like, yeah, that's insane. I mean, I've uh, just knowing a, a little bit about the schedules of movies and TV shows. Oh, and right, he was yeah. doing both oh. at the same time. <laughs> Like that's insane. That with takes this. With, with this, with with this horrible disease, yeah, uh, it's just it's incredible. Like um, he, as a matter of fact, um, I believe it was it's Sean Levy or is it Levy? Sean Levy. Levy. Sean Levy is talking about. Um, uh, uh, he's the director of Night of the Museum, and he's talking about when Robin says, "Like I'm not me anymore. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I am not me anymore." And to me, that is super poignant. I mean, that just imagine like knowing that something's wrong and you're just like, what the fuck is happening? What is it? What is going on? You know, imagine <laughs> imagine being Sean Levy on this damn movie set, right? Like you're on a mega like just a mega. This is the third one. The previous one made a billion dollars. Right. And one of your stars is gone. Like mm. he and he's calling you, like Robin's calling Sean Levy at two, three, four in the morning, going like, "Is any of this working? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not me anymore." And Sean's like, "You are still you. Like, you're Robin Williams, man." Like, and it's like, but Sean's inside going like, Uh-oh. "I don't know what's happening either." Yeah. Right? Like, mm. that's that's the thing where this this thing created a lot of trauma, right? Like David E. Kelly had the same amount of trauma inside of like this was a secret that they weren't allowed to share. And Hollywood has a really rich tradition of keeping secrets. Right. And the idea that like, this felt like something they were like, well, if we're, if we're loyal to, to the, to the business, if we're loyal to our friend, Robin, like you don't let anything out, you never tell this story, but it changed the narrative. And so the cool thing was that this film by getting 17 people together who really knew him to come forward, then all of a sudden Sean Levy's not talking out of school anymore. He's part of a movement. David E. Kelly is, isn't talking at school anymore. He's part of a movement. And these guys are really, they're getting to unload something that like they didn't want to hold anymore. Yeah. Right? Like Sean mm-hmm. Levy says, like, you know, it felt more loyal to tell the truth than to keep the secret. And it's like the idea that he can that he can feel loyal again. And he doesn't have to feel like maybe he's doing this out of fear because he doesn't want to talk out of school. Like I did see a lot of people during the making of this film who loved Robin and really were in his life in different ways be able to have this like weight taken off just because, you know, a secret is a terrible thing. 
I got a phone call. It was Robin. He was up in Vancouver, and he was working on Night at the Museum 3. And he was, he was having a panic attack, and he could not calm himself down. He's having such a struggle remembering just one line. Your life depended on you. So it's a... Say that, say that. It wasn't enough that you took his head off. He got very frustrated. I remember him saying to me, I'm not me anymore. I don't know what's going on. I'm not me anymore. His mind was not firing at the same speed. That spark was diminished. Uh, the joy was sometimes not there. I had to work harder editorially to create it on screen because it wasn't always there in the same way on set. And I didn't resent that. It was more taxing. It took a lot more time and energy. But if that's what my guy needed, then that's what I was going to give my guy. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The presumption that everyone has is uh, immediately in August of 2014, before this coroner's reporter out, is out or anything, it's sort of like these sad clown kind of memes going around, like the genie and stuff like that. So like... And everyone just says it has something to do with the rumors that just are swirling around have to do with like sobriety or like maybe he's not, maybe it's a drug thing. Maybe it's just like related to the heart surgery. Um, and I think like you said, a lot of people just like, they just get that one bit of information, then they don't dig any deeper uh, into the story. And I think that was what a lot of people assumed. And I was just thinking about like, if that is how most people perceived it they just think it's like uh you know like, like i guess a conventional suicide would be a bad way to phrase that uh so i shouldn't say that but um it just like the complexity of what you're saying in the film is basically and i, I think there was one quote that i really latched onto this concept that things are either psychological or biological and then they were like it's not that simple it's this combo thing and I, so i think that was like maybe the nuance that got lost in that entire discussion i think you you guys are really trying to address that yeah no that's absolutely right i mean you know paco as a you know verified comedian um mm -hmm. <laughs> like this is a little bit of like i mean honestly you almost should answer this more than me but the idea of like this narrative of, of comedians being like these like really like boisterous fun people and then like when they're off stage though not only are they like to your point paco like, oh, like generally more quiet and like 
actually human, right? They're not like, oh, like that's not 24 hours a day. Like one of the things that Robin Williams reported, like in a couple of interviews, like one of his little go-to bites when somebody would ask him, does it ever get tough to be famous? He'd, requ- he'd recount this story of being in an airport in Dallas and somebody coming up to him and going, be zany. Right. And he was like, ah, fuck you. That's not, yeah. that's not the game. <laughs> no. Like that, this is not, you know, you're missing the whole deal. Yeah. And like, so, so the idea that like comedians are supposed to always be zany for, for the, for the culture. Right. And we think that if they're not that, that they're somehow darker and like tortured and that somehow that gives us license to, well, it's actually good that I'm not funny. Otherwise I'd be like, you know, suicidal. And it's like, what a what a shitty thing! What a shitty thing to have out there as a narrative, or like and it's all like, kinds know, of art. Yeah, like all, uh, that creativity and depression are inherently linked, and like you know, right? And you can find music, some excuse art, as yeah. a as a as yeah. a person who doesn't endeavor to do that. Like, well, you know, that's a whole life that's difficult. It's like you know how happy Robin Williams was. You know how much joy he had in the world, and do you know how hard he fought to stay present through his darkness? Which guess what? Whoever's thinking that, you have too. Right. And it's like the idea that, that there's some sort of like, you know, like the Chris Farley's and the Jim Belushi's of the world, right. That those are, those are actually really bummer stories about people who like, you know, you wish they would have found more, more resources. You wish they could have found more tools to be around longer. But Robin did that work. He was that he was in that clamp. And when he was around, when Jim Belushi went through that, he was in the room that night. He was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And he, and he switched and he, he, he got off everything. He started doing bicycling actually which we touch on in the film that like this was a proactive guy who wanted to be here and he did the work and if you don't give him credit for that at the end of his life and try and write him off as as somebody who didn't have those resources and didn't do that work you've really done a disservice to the memory of this guy oh yeah completely i mean the story of it's it's mind-boggling how the robin williams story starts the middle, the act one, act two, and act three. I mean, it's incre- It's really quite incredible. Like, it's almost like it's one of those, like, you couldn't write that, you know? Like, it seems, it seems beyond fiction. I mean, it's just, like, especially, it's kind of like, I'm a huge jazz fan. Like, Freddie Hubbard, one of my favorite trumpet players, ended up getting uh, lip cancer. So he couldn't play trumpet anymore. I mean, of all the things to get cancer as a trumpeter the lip is probably the last place you want to get it and that's what happened they had to do surgery they had to take some out facial stuff and he couldn't play anymore i mean the fact that robin who is heralded as this quick thinking witty off the cuff improv genius ends up having a problem with the brain it's just like you can't write this kind of ideas you know and and like for me like watching this doc getting to know more about his personal side I know a lot about Robin because he's my hero. And I you read that book. And yeah. I, yeah, the Dave Itzkoff book, which is a great book. Did you end up reading that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great book. And I, I learned a lot from that. But just like, you know, learning more, like knowing some of his friends and hearing um, from his friends and like getting to be filled in all this. But so my question to you is like, what is something that were you su- surprised by some of the things that you learned about Robin and follow-up question did th- does that open up to you did did you gain a more of a appreciation for comedy and comedians in general and the craft yeah yeah so i'll take the second part first or the first part second All right. uh, yeah so no like yeah in order to like really appreciate 
Robin, you had to understand comedy, right? Like I, I had to, like, I went and hung out with this guy, Johnny Steele, like, and we, like when he did like an open mic night and him and it, and it's just like, you know, you get to know these people that Robin knew and you see this kind of way that they're all sort of like, just kind of like dudes and they, and they like, they, it's, it's, it is, it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that, that somebody who has an instinct to make the world a better place and, and does, does the work to be, to be present and show us all like, Hey, the world's not quite as scary as maybe you think it is like beautiful beautiful right and it's like you know and and a lot of these like i mean i would say the majority of comedians are not making a ton of money off this right like so the idea that like you know just like any other craft it's it's it has to be first done out of love and then you start understanding robin right and then you start having no this is the first part then you start understanding the power of, of who he was as a human that this is how he wanted to express himself right like he always wanted to be an actor his dad was in the automotive industry and told him he should pursue like a very structured career and his dad was a huge executive could have probably gotten him one of those jobs and robin could have been the ceo of like gm who knows like but that was not what he wanted he, he did the hard work he went to juilliard he pushed himself and he became somebody that we all remember as one of the great lights in our lives and it's like those are the things that surprise you as you, as you learn about this guy is that like he made these choices that nobody, nobody's accidentally hilarious. Nobody's accidentally, you know, an amazing actor. Nobody's accidentally any of these things. He, these were choices that he made. Nobody's accidentally generous. Like he pushed himself to give to the homeless, to be there for troops at their bedside when they were coming back from the battlefield. Right. Like those are the things that surprise you is all the choices that he made that make him Robin Williams to us, but that the guy Robin was just doing out of instinct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes me wonder, I don't know if you have any insight on this, but was there, did did Robin have projects that he was looking forward to making kind of pre symptoms? Yeah. Okay. So really excitingly, I mean, this is like, let's see who knows this. Um, (laughs) So Gus Van Zandt came out with, um, I don't think he'll get far on foot and it's Joaquin oh, Phoenix yeah, yeah, in a wheelchair, yeah. that film. Yeah, Robin had bought the rights to that book oh. and had planned to play that role himself. And him and Gus, who directed uh, Good Will Hunting, were going to do that movie. Wow. Like with Robin playing a just messed up alcoholic, oh, which he'd wow. been, right? Oh. He was going to go there mm-hmm. and he was excited to do that um, and just never got a chance. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh man, he would have been great. Anytime Robin had a great. beard for a role, those are the like that's the ones you could really dig into. That's the trope, man. right? Yeah, that's yeah. the trope, man. Put the beard on, you got a different Robin Williams. <laughs> what, do, you have a, do, you, do you have a favorite Robin movie? Oh man, that's the thing. I like. I've definitely had that question like a hundred times, and I think the thing that's important <laughs> as like people who are just like we're all roughly in the same age range is the idea of like he was there when we were five, he was there when we were six, seven, eight, nine. It's like. You can't pick like if I had to pick just like off the top, I'd say what dreams may come, but that doesn't begin to that doesn't begin to encapsulate what he meant, right? Like hook for me meant more to me in my life right. at a point than what dreams may come, which might be my favorite filmic film. But like, you know, the hook was incredible. Um, you know, Jumanji was great for me. The idea of like when, you know, we were all like pretty young, actually, when um, Goodwill Hunting came out, like we were all like 11 or 12, but it feels like that's a movie that we can we can remember now. Right. Like, but it's like we were kids, like for the most part, when that movie came out. But all of a sudden we felt like we knew about what it was like to lose a wife. And we felt like what we knew what it was like to, to, to like sort of understand great loss. And it's like and that was all through his like that was through him. Yeah. For me, as World According to Garp, that's the movie yeah, I saw a- where I was like. I was like, holy shit, what is, this is Mork. 
Like, what is he doing? This is awesome. You know, like the world according to Garp. Like, I love that movie when it came out. And then um, that's one of the things that really got me interested in Robin and then seeing his live at the Met uh, stand up special. Mm. I was like, what the fuck? How does this guy do this? Like, it's insane. You know, yeah, a I've, few years ago, I, I, I checked out the the special he did at the Great American Music Hall, partly just because I wanted to see what it, that looked like at that time when they would put the tables out. And it's like basically the same building. But yeah, it just, yeah, he was just so prolific, just worked so much. Such an incredibly hard worker um but i was thinking about this and this you didn't this isn't from your thing is more like some research i was doing after watching the film i found a video of someone who's very uh who's diagnosed with louis body and is like but was pretty really smart like she's like a nurse she was like talking about her whole situation she could really articulate like what was happening to her and like mm. having that knowledge obviously is like that's a the big missing piece here for robin but i was even thinking about the resources that are available to someone who was worth tens of millions of dollars versus like just your average person. This is a disease where apparently it's like more expensive to treat on average than Alzheimer's because of like the amount of like people just get fall down and stuff all the Mm -hmm. time. And just, but even being able to catch the diagnosis, do you think like before this film, like most people had only heard of Lewy body syndrome after Robin died. Like I, I was definitely in that camp. It just sort of like is so it's one of those things. It's kind of like, you know, in the beginning of COVID, how people are like, well, it kind of looks like the flu. It kind of looks like this thing. You're kind of like dealing with like symptoms that are so uh, close to other things that is really hard to diagnose. But like uh, this person in this video was talking about how she basically uh, had to, you know, get rid of all her money so she could get on Medicare and then that took like 18 months. So basically you don't have like a buffer. And I'm just like, most of us are not worth tens of millions of dollars. Like what does this say about like the healthcare system? Is it more like we have to put money into researching this particular thing? Or is there just like more that has to be done in terms of like just supporting people? Uh, you know, not to, I always, am we always I, get into political talks, you and I, you and I, you're not for a single parent. We, we all, we get into this. I'm like, well, how does Canada deal with Louis body syndrome? That's what I was trying to Google. I could not find like, what does the UK do? But in the UK, it's still like super not well known either. It seems like, it seems like it's just kind of coming into its own as like the number two thing after Alzheimer's that happens to old people. Yeah, I mean, it's something that so it's a it's a it's a de- disease on the spectrum of of Alzheimer's and dementias, the same way that Parkinson's is, and so they actually are very closely related. Um, but in regards to what you're saying, it's like the tough thing about so there's a little caveat, which is the idea that like yes, Robin had more money than he needed in order to get the best care, but the issue is that's crazy is. No doctor wants to be the one who tells Robin Williams. So actually, one of the things that Susan says um, is that, you know, they didn't get the best care and they didn't get the worst care because actually doctors were kind of just wanting to be like, no, you're good. You're Robin Williams. You're good. You're good. Right. (laughs) And it was like they they were like they were running like kind of, you know, like, oh, we're going to test your pee and we're going to blah, blah, blah. And like but like nobody was saying like the way that maybe if a if a person would just like a regular person came in where they'd be like, all right, well, um you know, we want to send you to this inpatient clinic for a couple of weeks. Nobody wants to tell mm-hmm. Robin Williams's people he he's going to come right. off the road and uh-huh. like do X, Y, and Z. And so it's like, you know, you just, every, every case is different. And, and it's, it, it just, I think it sucks being old in America as is right. Like it's just the, the healthcare is not there. Right. And it's like, 
I think that's I think that's just something that is unfortunate. But what we can do, um, and what is happening in Robin's name, is finding a biomarker so that more people get diagnosed. Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it's a death sentence, and there really aren't any cures or treatments or anything. There's nothing that's been developed. So what's important is if you can get more people diagnosed, they can at least know what's happening to them, which I think is a huge mental victory. If you can if you can walk through your life knowing, hey, I've got cancer, hey, I've got heart disease, and you're not mm-hmm. just like, why is there blood in my in my in my like when I blow my nose, right? Like right. you know what's happening, and that changes the way that you approach every day that you're kind of working through this. So that that's what I would say is that at least through Robin's memory and the idea that he's highlighted this disease, people are donating to science. Mm-hmm. Those scientists are looking for this biomarker, which would allow them to then do a scan while you're alive that would make it much easier for you to tell if somebody had Lewy body dementia or not, which doesn't currently exist. And it's very, very difficult to diagnose. So a biomarker, is it like a genetic test or something? Is this, do we think it's a genetic disease or it's like, they're not even that sure like what the origin is? Cause it's like on that spectrum of stuff. Yeah, you're getting into high science here. So now you're getting into the concept of alpha-synuclein. So alpha-synuclein is this chemical that's in our brains, but it's also everywhere else in our body. And if you have Uh a buildup of alpha-synuclein, it can create these Lewy bodies, which are basically clumps of Mm alpha-synuclein that choke off parts of the brain. So imagine like you have this beautiful clear stream and now all of a sudden there's all this mud in the water. Well, Uh like, you know, at some point that mud can turn it to where all of a sudden the sand is, the, the water's no longer clear. And that's what happens with Lewy body dementia is like, you know, it, these things start taking up space in your brain and they're actually right. choking off. And it's no longer are these connections free flowing and clear. It's like all of a sudden now, like this part is broken. And so your brain's trying to work around it. And then this part breaks in your brain. And so it's just like this idea of, uh, you know, just breaking up this natural flow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the biomarker tells you if there's a lot of alpha synuclein in your body, and that gives them a good okay. sense of like, oh, wait, we should really be looking at some things that, you know, mm-hmm. Parkinson's also would do that. But Parkinson's, if you're doing this, people kind of go, oh, your, your hand's shaking. Let's really look at that. But with, mm-hmm. with blue body dementia, you don't get those symptoms until the end, which is why- they're also, because it's like hallucinations, it's like internal types of like, yeah, there's a mix well, of- Well, now you're getting into something. So the concept of hallucinations, which we- for a fact, know that Robin was having, but mm-hmm. we can't. He never told Susan exactly what was going on. He'd only hint that he thought maybe she was cheating on him. But then we have some report. Well, I shouldn't even say that on here. It's speculative, right? We don't know what the hallucinations were, mm-hmm. um, but we know that just by the damage done to his brain by Lewy body dementia, that that was something he'd been having for a very long time, and they become more vivid and more graphic as it progresses. And the idea is that like Bruce Miller, who's in the film, who's one of the world experts on Lewy body dementia reports that like these uh, hallucinations are not like, oh, my dog's back. And I thought my dog was dead, but my dog's here. It's stuff like he was like, when I talk to patients of Lewy body dementia, he's like the average thing. And he was like, Tyler, let me level with you. He's like the average hallucination that this, that this disease triggers in your brain because of the way it attacks your brain and where it affects your brain. He's like, usually it's the stuff like one guy thought that there was uh, an army on his front lawn murdering children. And you're just kind of like the idea that Robin was able to have these Mm -hmm. kinds of things and, and sort of move forward um, is powerful. What is tragic is that because of the way we look at mental health in this, in this country and in the world, he felt shame about that. He felt like Mm -hmm. he said that out loud. Yeah he might be seen differently rather than a guy who's struggling with something, yeah. a guy who isn't himself anymore. And that that's, that's very dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's something that's really powerful. And the idea that even actually when he gets his Parkinson's diagnosis at the end of this whole thing, so he's having vivid hallucinations probably on a daily basis, maybe more often, right? I'd have to check exactly with the medical experts to find mm -hmm. out what, if they can pinpoint frequency. But the idea that this is certainly a part of his life at this point is he's having vivid hallucinations. So the, the doctor goes, you know what, Robin, like you got Parkinson's, but hey, like it's early, um, you know, you're going to live for another 10 years. And Robin goes, okay, but yeah. am I schizophrenic? Right. And the doctor goes, and the doctor goes, no, no, you're good. And like the idea that doctors now knowing that he had Lewy body dementia and that the last thing you see is Parkinson's, right? Like you start having those tremors, you go the opposite way. So, so you start having tremors at the very end. The idea yeah. that like a doctor was saying that, and that, that, that was not what he needed to hear at that. Like that didn't make any sense to him. And you know, his wife's like, Oh, you're okay. Like it's just Parkinson's. <laughs> and like the idea that he's like, no, no, no. And so the idea that doctors and medical experts now have that quote of like him asking, are you sure I'm not schizophrenic? When somebody says, do you have Parkinson's? Like it clearly, right. If, if that doctor or, or if medical science had done more towards understanding this disease, that would have been a moment where you go, whoop, let's move this guy into the other part of the uh, medical equation. Doesn't he straight up ask if he has dementia? I thought that was even in, there's a quote, right? Sure. From, from Susan, she's like, he, he asked, he asked the doctor. He's, yeah. he's like, he's like, are you sure I don't have dementia? But schiz did dementia is where somebody can be like, oh, you know, like who knows what that, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. like if someone comes to you and goes, hey, George, I think I might be schizophrenic. You don't go, no, that's, you're good. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's hallucinations. That's like <laughs> yeah. voices. Yeah, that's all that stuff. Yeah. I can't tell what's real anymore. And you go, mm -hmm. no, you're good. Get out of here, you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You're Robin Williams. You're like, Robin. You know, Go do you think like money. the do you think the people just kind of wrote some of the heart surgery stuff off into this too? Or no? Do you think that was like like I guess that's more of a medical question again. I keep asking you medical. You're a doctor, right? You're a director <laughs> slash doctor. I learned Tyler a Norwood. lot, but I, I yeah, MD, I'm not a Tyler doctor. Norwood MD. I have, yeah. I have no medical experience that I can yeah. cite in terms of um, <laughs> other anything other than just personal research for the film. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, well, uh, do you have hung out with the American brain foundation, right? Like that's yeah. Today. Yeah. Like what, <laughs> as well. what, what happens at the American brain foundation? Tell us about that. Well, they're, they have a fund going and if you're going to ask me to plug them, um, they have a fund going and we have a link to it on the film's website, which is a fund that's administered by Susan towards finding a biomarker. So, so far they've raised $5 million and, um, they're really excited about the work that's being done just on Lou body dementia over at the American brain foundation. So. They're very, very cool. That's awesome. That's, that's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, to hear that, um, this disease is always fatal. Like there's, it's, does not. Always deadly. That's to me, that's, and so what, what is, the, I, I, I don't quite understand. Like, what is the, how do you die from it? What does your body just shut down eventually and just your, your, your organs don't work and you stop eating? Like what's the fatal part of it? Right. So with, with Alzheimer's, which my grandfather had, it's a neurological disease, right? These are all neurological diseases. And in a, in a, imagine a big umbrella and there's all these different little like things in it. But the big umbrella is neurological disease. So that means your nervous system, right, which your brain is the captain of. As it starts breaking down in your brain, as that starts happening, you start having less and less control over yourself and your speech and the way you are in the world and your 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 even your bowel function. Like all of these crazy things are changed. Like your brain's in control of everything. You are just a three and a half pound hunk of meat. And if right. it goes wrong, like you're done. Um, and so the idea that like the way that the last stage of this is that that neuro, you basically your nervous system fails. That's the very end of this. So the reason he's having tremors at the very end of this is because the next thing that's going to start happening is his arm's not going to work. 
And then he's not going to be able to walk anymore. And then he's not going to be able to breathe anymore at some point after that. And that's the last mm-hmm. moment. Oh, right. Like your, your, your core, like lizard brain functions, right. That like start yeah. to, that deteriorates like the things that keep your so, physiologically going. Yeah. In. So if the brain is here, Louis body dementia starts here and works its way out and then down, right. <sighs> Parkinson's yeah. kind of starts like this and goes that way. That's mm. that's the simple the simplest way I've been able to describe it. But this is all on radio, so no one saw that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, couldn't see your, couldn't see your head. Right now, I'm making. If only we're on radio. If <laughs> only we're on radio. Yeah. Right. Oh, this is a pterodactyl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's like I uh, when I worked at that that bookstore on Hate Street, Robin would come in about once a month, and he would buy like two hundred dollars worth of books each time. He'd have this like stack of books. I think he was really into airplanes. I think he has yeah. he had a big airplane thing because he'd always buy these like World War II airplane. Oh, he books. was so into World War II. Just a quick little thing as a fan that was fun to find out. This dude loved video games. And the one oh, yeah. video game that, that the one video game he would always play was some World War II like fighter video game where he's in like a plane and like his wife would be like they have this place called like the the fun pit or something like that and there's just this room in the house with like a giant couch and a huge TV and like he would just sit there for hours and she was like he was like she was like he liked fighting the little Chinese kids because they were the best at the game and so he'd get up at weird hours to go play online with the Chinese kids because they like he would like that's where he'd get his most challenging aerial battles and I was like. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking great. That like, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know he named his daughter Zelda after the video yeah. game. So like, yeah, exactly. I, I heard that, yeah. Yeah. But they have a frame, they have a framed copy of some video game in their house that was like that was his that was his shit. Like that was his <laughs> like if, if he's yeah. World of Warcraft or something. No, yeah. it's a, it's all these World War II things. That was oh. in those last years of his life, like he was he was just on this like and, and the game was like that he was playing was from like 2010 and like so he's playing it like for years way after it's a hot new game he's just like like <laughs> right yeah. yeah that's awesome that's awesome yeah i mean it's um such a uh, again it's such a crazy story that it's it's uh, definitely people who want to know more about robin should watch this documentary because it really does like help lay out the facts of like what was happening in his head and his body and his life, his career. Like it all kind of seemed to come. It's not like he was retired, you know, and spending his times just like fishing. And then like this happened, like the, the dude was like making movies and a TV show. And all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know, I'm not me anymore. What the fuck is happening? And so it's really compelling, you know, so that makes uh Robin's wish such a great documentary. I'm so glad that you're able to put it together. Um, and it's awesome too, that you're a local, you know, like that you're a local to the area and that you got easy. I don't know if you got easy, did you get easy access to people or was it kind of difficult? Yeah, no, this is a, this is a, anybody who knew stuff about this felt a lot of shame about like the secret and who should, who should know. And like, and they loved Robin too. So it's like, who are you? Right. It's like, well, Susan, Susan sent me and they're like, all right. Like, what do you got to show me? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like, I will say like the cool thing is like for people who are listening to this, who are aspiring filmmakers or whatever, it's like, there was no slick Hollywood agent. There was no like backdoor into like, you know, getting Sean Levy or David E. Kelly or any of these other people to participate. I had to make a film and then I had to show it to them. And I had to say, you would fit in here and here and here. Uh, that, those are the things that are currently being covered by Susan mm-hmm. that we think you could do a better job on. Cause you were on set or like you would have had better access to this part of the story. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that worked. It wasn't, it wasn't that I had some big agent. It wasn't that like, I was saying like, I know Susan and they all like parted the seas. It was like, they were like, uh, Susan's fantastic. But like Robin was my friend. 
Robin is the guy I worked with. Like Robin was, you know, it's like, you need to be, we need, we need to make a particularly personal agreement about you doing Robin justice that I can't base on anything other than you showing me something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you had to basically show them like a rough cut, like an outline. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. So I had to go make a movie before yeah. I could make the movie. <laughs> right. Oh, geez. wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. but that's how it works. Is it, is that, is that pretty typical? I think that's how it should work. I mean, it felt really good to me. Like I was like, yeah. you know what, in the end of the day, like I, of course, trust me, I sent the emails and I wish they would have just been like, no problem. Yeah. Right. Like, but it was like, you know, that <laughs> Tyler, no way. Half the fun. Come yeah, on oh, in. Yeah. The, the Tyler <laughs> Weren't you on SupDoc once? I think that's probably what they were thinking. This guy was on SupDoc. <laughs> Didn't you drink warm beer at a bar in Oakland? <laughs> it was so, so warm. That was, yeah. that was the, the beer was so warm. Um, so, Tyler, where can people find the film? This is coming out on Monday. Coming out uh, Monday. Tuesday, September Tuesday, 1st. Tuesday, September uh-huh. 1st. Uh, it's going to be on iTunes, all the streaming platforms. And as of today, we also got another endorsement from USA Today saying that we're one of the other than Mulan, they said that we're the we're the Ooh. second most exciting thing to view uh, to stream this fall. So I was like, nice. I'll take I'll take second seat to Mulan. Holla, <laughs> hell yeah, you yeah. will. That's so. Yeah. What else do you have coming up for you? Are you going to take some yeah, time Sky off Dojo? Or? Tell us about yeah. What's the Sky Dojo scene like these days? Well, so Sky Dojo does all of our commercial work. So that's where we do stuff with like Facebook and Google and Adobe and whoever else. But um, quotable pictures is something that me and Ben, my friend and producer um, started. And so we've got some development deals in place, but a lot of it has really been affected by COVID in terms of like what can move sure, forward, who's yeah. what's even possible anymore. And it's like, mm-hmm. can we do this whole show over Zoom instead? And it's like, so right. that part is like, uh, that part's pretty intense, but yeah. you know, we'll all figure out a way around it. Cause we all want to tell stories and that's what we care about. That is it, man. Well, thank you for telling uh, Robin's story. Thanks for bringing this to us, being back on SupDoc, Tyler. It's awesome to see you, buddy. And um, thank you again. Cool. Thanks and thank you for watching an early cut of this and uh, giving us some really important feedback. Oh, I loved it. I fucking loved it. I loved it. And uh, yeah, any, I mean, anything with that has Robin Williams involved is like for me just a cherished thing because I loved him so much. So it was awesome to, to see an early cut. Cool, man. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. Absolutely. See you guys. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about SupDoc at SupDocPodcast.com, recapping reality since 2015. Our theme song was written by David Siegel, and our show was engineered by Will Scoville. Our associate producer is Nick Colsis. Please donate to the show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash SupDocPodcast. And if you want to help us out in any other way, please just share the show with a friend. Join the Doc Talk and check out our hot takes, pictures, and videos on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're SupDoc Podcast on all of those platforms. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can find Paco and George's comedy gigs when those are happening again on the About Us page on the site. SupDoc is by Doc fans for Doc fans. So if you want to advertise with SupDoc or if you got a film or opinions or if you want us to have a certain guest on, please hit us up. We'd love to hear from you and what you're docking out on. Email us at subduckpodcast at gmail.com. 